podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott and Holm podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar sports podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dorks so thank you and go Cougs and welcome back to the Rock Shock podcast I am your host Andy Mitz today we are recapping a couple games for the Kansas Jayhawks over well I guess the weekend and then the early part of the week um, Kansas went down to Lubbock and played in a football against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I, I I say played because that's probably the only word I can use to describe it without getting a little too upset about the way that that game actually went. But thankfully, we were able to kind of wash out that uh, taste from our mouth with a fantastic game for the Kansas Jayhawks against the Duke Blue Devils in the Champions Classic. And of course, here to help me break all of this down and talk about these games and get you ready for the week that is coming up. It is our my my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, a little tired. I'm glad there was no Kentucky game to go into double overtime and push this back later. So, yeah. I, thank yeah, you oh my for, gosh. you know, refusing to guard, uh, you know, the paint in the last three seconds of any regulation or overtime in Kentucky, I guess. It was it was kind of ridiculous. I, I, I had entertain the thought of potentially trying to do a podcast after the game last night and realized pretty quickly it was like uh, Kansas is a late game that there's always some reason why it's really late and this so I made the call it's like we're gonna do this today we're gonna you know delay stuff I actually recorded um, an episode with Stephen Davis the uh, the play-by-play for the women's basketball team so that was our you know our Wednesday episode and then this is a special Thursday recap episode. Um, because I wanted nothing to do with the potential of having to podcast at midnight on a Tuesday night to get both of those games recapped. So instead, we'll get a little bit of sleep, come back, and at least pretend like we are not um, sleep-deprived adults with children who have schedules that make us do all kinds of crazy stuff. But look, Philip gets to complain about his kids over on the Ten Twelve podcast. I'm going to complain about all the craziness that happens that uh, keeps me up way too late. But... We're doing stuff that we love, following these teams and talking about them, even if the results aren't necessarily the best. So let's go ahead. We'll just rip off the Band-Aid, go with the one that we probably want to talk about the least in uh, Kansas going down to Lubbock. Uh, the football team, unfortunately, got behind early, as is they are normal. Like, that's their normal, mod- you know, uh, I guess, modus operandi for the Jayhawks while they're on the road, especially. Uh, got down pretty big, actually, 24 to 7 at one point in this game. Um, and was able to make a game of it, but unfortunately, they dug the hole a little bit too deep and ended up losing that game. Um, just first thoughts from that game. Like, once the, once the, the game was clearly over, whether that was before the final, you know, buzzer sounded or not, um, like, what were your thoughts about that game? What was the overall impression of Kansas after that? Uh, I think it was, uh, well, Maybe we could do, we should maybe do the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Sounds good to get me. Get the bad and the ugly out of the way first. So the the ugly one was, I guess, if you want to say, uh, the the run defense. I mean, it looked and just in the defense overall, it looked way too easy for Tech. And especially, I I am working on my preview for Texas right now. Obviously, they have Bajan Robinson, who is the arguably the best or one of the best running backs. Um, in the in the league and if you're going to give up 264 yards and four touchdowns on the ground to tech who would prefer to throw the ball anyway like i'm, I'm a little nervous for what's going to happen on saturday like they're going to have to get tightened up there um the bad i can't even remember if that was the bad or the ugly the other one that was just not great but it was the it was the self-inflicting wounds it was the missed field goals it was 
Jason Bean, that probably wasn't an interception. I know they didn't look at it and that swung it as well in terms of like at the end of the half, the interception that then another field goal, like, you know, it, I, in the in the end, it probably didn't matter in the outcome too much, but like there's just too much, just there, there's just too much sloppiness there. The special teams wasn't great. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot left to kind of be desired, I guess, uh, in that front too. But the good was uh, Devin Neal is, I mean, that, that real Bill Devin Neal nickname, he's, he's holding up to it as well. Cause he has been fantastic. And like, if we want to also look at bright spots, I know we can probably talk about this a little bit later. Like Lawrence Arnold has really come on strong and has been having a, a, couple of really good performances but like especially this week was probably I think arguably his best you could look at the Oklahoma game maybe that was because he actually got in the end zone more but like we're, we're seeing this has been just cumulatively Lawrence Arnold's best year so far so the the skill guys on offense are still looking good I think we all we kind of knew that that was the good but man that run defense was ugly and a lot of just like either boneheaded plays or just missed opportunities and special teams and just things that you have to be tighter at if you're going to win a big 12 game. Yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those. And up until the very last point you made, I thought maybe you're just reading off of my takeaways from the game that I posted over on blue wings rising because like the rushing defense was horrific. Like it was really bad. Um, Kansas did not give themselves any opportunity at all to really stay in this game early with the way that they just let Texas tech run all over them. And look, Texas Tech has some decent running backs, but it is not like this is a case where one guy just went completely off because he has been, you know, a workhorse like Devin Neal or Bijan Robinson or Deuce Vaughn. Um, this was multiple guys getting fairly good runs and Kansas letting Tyler Shuck just run pretty much wherever he wanted. Kansas had problems with rushing quarter with, with quarterbacks who are mobile enough and can run throughout the season, but it has not been this bad. I think this is a case of Texas Tech being a very good team in terms of doing or matching up well against the things that Kansas uh, is not very good at and, you know, being okay enough at the things that Kansas is good at to kind of stymie what the Jayhawks wanted to do. And, you know, this is a completely different team on the road than at home. I don't know if it's feeding off of the home crowd. I don't, I honestly don't know what it is. It's nice to have a home field advantage now. Um, because of the fans that have been there and, you know, because this, this team feeds off that energy, but it has been night and day. Lance, Lance Leipold talked about in the, you know, he was, he was asked in the press conference. Um, and I forget if it was, it was the post game press conference or his media availability this week. I don't remember which one it was, but was, was being asked about, oh no, I'm sorry. It, it was before the Texas Tech game, right? It was being asked about the difference for this team home and on the road. And he said, well, I haven't really looked at the numbers that way. You know, and he's like, I, I, you know, we, we prepare for them the same way and, and all of this. And I'm starting to think that maybe they need to prepare differently when they go out on the road, because this is a team that cannot feed on the energy the same way. It is not a team that has been able to snowball, you know, one thing positive after another and really turn the tide of a game. Um, you know, they come out a lot quicker. They come out a lot more energized. There's a lot of, I guess, home cooking that they get that really helps them start games strong. Um, that being said, you know, there's definitely other other issues. Like the rushing defense is a huge issue. I don't care whether they're home or away. If they are going to be giving up that many big runs, it's going to be a problem. But the other thing that was really clear to me, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, Jason Bean is a very, very capable backup. He is a guy that if you had to have him as your starter all year long, you would game plan around him and you would be a somewhat successful team. But he is not as dynamic of a player as Jalen Daniels is. Kansas is missing just that extra, you know, piece to their offense when he is out. Now, obviously, it doesn't hurt or it doesn't help that Daniel Highshaw's out. You know that they they are missing some of the guys that they are, have been relying on throughout the year. Um, you know, Sevion Morrison. Last I heard, he's a little banged up, and Kai Thomas has been somewhat effective, but not nearly as effective as they were hoping he would be coming into the year. But like, this is one of those things where. This is a team that had a really deep running back core. They are now leaning on Devin Neal so heavily, I think partly out of necessity. Like, I mean, Kai Thomas had one carry that was basically, it was a screen pass behind the line. So it counts as a run that, uh, you know, he got from Ethan Vasco in garbage time. And it was a 40 yard run essentially. So like, it's not like the rest of the running back. And, and in fact, 
before that play, no other running back even had a carry on the day other than Devin Neal. So they are relying on him a lot, but he cannot shoulder the entire load for this team. They need other guys to step up. They need to find other ways to attack teams because it was pretty clear. Yes, Jason Bean had three throwing touchdowns, but that was really just finishing off drives that Devin Neal did the majority of the work. Yeah, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, if you look at if you look at uh, Jason Bean's stat line, it, it's a it's you know a solid stat line. It's good, but 60, it's not great. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good, but not great. And I think, but I think the the thing is too is that you you're right. What you could touch on there's there's plenty of really good quarterbacks that still, you know, I don't want to use the term like game manager because that's not right for Jason Bean because he's much more electric than that. But like. It's it's completely different when you consider when you consistently get yourself dug into holes, especially on the road. And like Jason Bean's not the quarterback where you want or are okay with him throwing it fifty times to get you back into a game. Like he is at his best when he is throwing it twenty five to thirty times. He's not having to feel like he's doing everything. He can make some plays with his feet. You're keeping him off balance. Like you're you're not like you. When when you have to start panicking because you're now down two scores and you feel like you have to chuck it more and take more chances, like that's when sometimes he misses the the safety of the linebacker spy and just like throws it right to him. Or there's some the, there's the mistakes that happen. So yeah, there's there's plenty of quarterbacks that are really solid quarterbacks, but you don't necessarily want them to be playing from behind very often. And there's just you know like the the, the style of play just doesn't really suit that. And so that's where yeah you you. You, you you've seen the difference between like the Oklahoma State game, for example, the way KU started it, and and you know even like I know they started with the turnover, but just like kind of getting on the board early, really balanced, really establishing what they've got. But they they started from the lead, and he was able to just kind of again manage the game, not from like a passive game manager standpoint, but just the way that we've seen Jason Bean do it. It's completely different, just the mindset and approach and everything when you're when you're down two scores on the road really quickly. And you're missing field goals. You feel like you can't trust your kicker. You're having to go for it on fourth. Like there's just, it, it not much was conducive to I think any situation. And you know who knows what if KU still wins it if Jalen Daniels is in there. You know obviously you like to think that he would, but yeah, it, Jason being this game, I will say this game was not lost because of him. Uh, he does not. He's probably not on the top three or four that I would put to blame for this loss. But it's also like there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I mean, I guess a metaphor for this, and this is kind of reaching a little bit, I think, but uh, bear with me here. This is kind of like when you have a jazz ensemble, okay? And and the leader of the group is also the best soloist, but isn't necessarily a great one. Um, because when you're listening to a jazz ensemble, like the, the part that really runs it, like there is a clear leader, even though there's not a guy up there conducting. And, you know, and, and so like originally I was thinking of like a... a an, an orchestra conductor, but I don't think that really fits because that person isn't really performing, you know, the music with them. But in a jazz ensemble, the guy who leads the group is kind of the one that helps keep everybody on time, helps push them forward. And more often than not is the guy that is probably going to have one of the big solos for that group, right? Jason Bean is essentially basically that, that jazz ensemble leader who is pretty good at doing solos, but isn't, you know, the best at it. Um, and so he can do enough I think to get them, you know, to turn in a good performance. When you have Jalen Daniels out there, he is able to kind of freestyle and do whatever it is they need to do to really kind of keep the, the the team moving, to keep them moving forward and meshing well together. And I think that's really just what it is: is that um, Daniels is, a, I think, much much better able to bring all the pieces together to make those good decisions to get guys where they need to be in a way that Jason Bean can't. Quite as well. And not, not saying he can't do it at all, but he definitely is not as good at it as Jalen Daniels is. And so it would be really nice to have him back. Supposedly, we are at a point where Jalen Daniels is able to come back as long as he is feeling good coming into the weekend against Texas. So let me tell you, if his, uh, you know, if his first start will be a, uh, a game against Texas, considering what happened last year when his, you know, first start of the year was against Texas, there's going to be a lot of fun storylines. And I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this particular game. Um, you know, the fact that it is a, it is a two thirty game on FS1. So it will be, it will be an interesting game, I think for them. Um, it'll have a, a few more eyes on it than, well, hopefully a lot more eyes on it than the one against Texas tech. Cause that was an ESPN plus game. But, um, you know, this is, this is, uh, 
good enough of a game that it's getting a nice middle of the afternoon slot. Um, and hopefully there will be a lot of people paying attention to this game. But um, before we, you know, kind of really dive into looking ahead for this team, um, you know, what about on the defense, though? Because I, I know it wasn't all bad on the defense. There were some big plays that were made. Was there anybody that really kind of stood out or anything that the defense did particularly well that you think they can build on? It's a, it's a good question. I think the, you know, the the players who you would normally assume have been there were kind of there. Like there, you know, and it was good to see kind of Lonnie Phelps get in there a little bit. Like there were some decent pressures, but I can't figure out if this is one of those. So Texas Tech is fascinating, and I brought this up in the in the preview of them uh, coming into the game because. I, we talked about it last time where they, you know, they're a team where I feel like the variance, like they could be a lot of different, you know, they, they could, this team could be with a couple of different things happening, you know, seven and three, or they could be four and five. Like it's just, so, in the, and so they've, they basically, they have lost going into the KU game. They had won two conference games. They had lost four in the two wins. They had thrown for at least 300 yards and hadn't been thrown an interception, whether that be, uh, Smith or or Morton or whoever it is, and in the in the four losses they had thrown nine total interceptions. So the idea is that, I, and I can't figure out how much is on them or how much is on the defense. But like you can turn this team over, the quarterbacks are going to be sloppy. They're going to make mistakes. You can kind of hurry them up and pressure them. And when Texas Tech wins, they are taking care of the football, especially through the air. And when they lose, they're they're quite turnover ridden uh and it just never it never felt like again it, it seemed way too easy that there was never enough pressure you know there were some nice individual plays in the in the secondary like you know Kobe Bryant was was still really good and impressive as usual but it's just it, it just felt way too it, it never felt like there was they were making that offense speed up enough to make mistakes or really force the hand like we've maybe even seen in some other situations with this team, even when it's been kind of a big break defense. So that's not even really a pot. I mean, there's some good individual, you know, plays and kind of performances just in general, but overall that was just, it really stuck out to me is that, man, I don't think Tech's throwing a pick for this one because, you know, unless it's just complete user error on the quarterback, it just didn't feel like nothing much was happening to really mess them up or they didn't look confused at all by KU sets. Like they, it just felt like, again, it was just all way too easy. Well, I mean, really, I think it just came down to the fact that they were rushing so well from the beginning that Kansas was never really able to get them into a passing situation where you felt like there was a lot of pressure on them in that passing situation. Yes, they got, you know, Lonnie Phelps had two QB hurries. You know, we had a few tackle for losses. We had one sack from Malcolm Lee. Like, there were individual players who made individual plays. The problem was that those plays didn't come in a context of a game where where you ever felt like Texas Tech was pressing anything on offense. Like, it was, they were very calm, comfortable. Even on the plays where, you know, it was negative plays for them, it wasn't, it wasn't like a panic inducing type of negative play. It was just a, oh man, that didn't, it was like an, oh shucks, that didn't work this time. We'll have to get him next time. And I was like, it was, it was that, you know, that really, uh, man, my, my acting skills are on point tonight. No, <laughs> but like, it's, it's one of those where, um, you know, it just didn't feel like Kansas ever got the pressure or, or created the stressful situation that Texas Tech is prone to turn it over in. And so, you know, I think that again, that's one of the hazards of starting as slow as they do, especially on the road, is that, you know, you have to be able to play that much better to then create the stressful situation. Whereas if you play pretty well from the start, you know, then whether you build a lead or you keep it even, there naturally builds some pressure, especially when you're on the road for that home team. You know, as the team, as the game goes on, that they have to do something to start taking a lead and, and taking a significant lead. Kansas never made them work for it. Um, you know, Kansas was able to come back um, in this game and get it fairly close at halftime. I mean, it was, you know, it was, uh, it, it well, it was 27-21. It was within one score at half. Um, unfortunately, Kansas just was not able to do anything in the third quarter. And then everything kind of fell apart for them at the end as they were trying to come all the way back and, and get it close again. And, um, you know, the defense did not do nearly enough for them to be able to to get the pressure, 
and take some pressure off the offense. Because I think that's really kind of what the point is here, is that this is a team that has very much all year long said, hey, we're a complimentary style of football, right? Like, we play really well on the offense, but our defense does enough to put pressure on them and to make the defense of the opponent press and do what they need to, you know, and, and do stuff so that we can take advantage of those mistakes. They didn't do any of that in this game. The, the offense didn't play well enough to force the tech offense to have to do anything, and the defense didn't play well enough to make the tech offense or defense feel like they had any sense of urgency at all in this game. So, um, Obviously, the expectation is that, that that will be better for this game coming up against Texas. So let, let's go ahead and take a look. Obviously, if Jalen Daniels is back, that's a great thing. Um, but looking at this team and looking at what Texas did against TCU last week, getting completely shut down by a TCU's defense, which, look, I mean, TCU has a decent defense, but it's not like they have a world-beating defense. Um, Texas has done the Texas sort of thing where they've had really good-looking games and really bad-looking games. Quinn Ewers did not look good at all in that game against TCU. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about what Kansas can potentially take from what TCU did and, and how do you think Kansas is set up to try to take advantage of a, you know, a brand new starter this year in Quinn Ewers for, for the Longhorns? Yeah, Ewers is like the Longhorns overall. Like, it's been a roller coaster of a season. And like I said, I've been diving into it for this preview, and it's actually kind of fascinating. But it, it actually, it, I think a lot of it is going to come back to the running game because – I don't know what happened. Again, I did, I caught some of the TCU-Texas game. I, I didn't look at it too closely. I'm hoping that TCU gave uh, Brian Borland and the staff some sort of blueprint on slowing down Bajon Robinson because he somehow only had 29 yards on 12 carries. Um, I know, you know they got away from him after a while, but like that is by far his lowest mark of the year. And that was his first time not breaking a hundred yards rushing since the Alabama game. So like I bring all that to say yours hasn't been good for a while. Uh, and I think what compounds that uh, compounded it, at least in the, in the TCU game too, is that they were not able to use Robinson as that outlet to keep the defense off balance. Like we just saw, we, we just talked about it with Texas tech, like they tech, Texas Tech established the run so well so early that then KU was just on his back heel the whole time. Never really worked. I don't know if this defense can stop Robinson. I don't expect him to stop him the way that TCU did. I think if you hold him to anywhere from 90 to 110 yards, actually that's that's pretty solid if you make it happen in like 25 or more carries. Um, but you got to put more pressure on viewers to have to perform and not give that out. So I think that's a lot of it too, is they're going to have to stuff Robinson early in downs because viewers it's, it's wild that he is actually, he's only thrown for more than 200 yards once in the last four games. And the time that he did, he threw for more than 350 against Oklahoma state, but it, I didn't even realize at the time he was only, he had only, he only completed 39% of his passes. He threw it nearly 50 times and he couldn't even, he didn't even com compete. Uh, oh man, I can't talk complete 40% of them while throwing three picks. So like, that's not a good stat line. Congrats. You got 350 yards, but that's been rough. So like yours is going, could make mistakes. He's prone to, again, I think somehow it's like, how do you stop Robinson and make it, you know, third and long, like put the pressures on yours. And I was listening to some stuff earlier this week and I'd give it credit if I could remember where it came from, but someone talking about how just he has such a cannon for an arm that his footwork is just dreadful and he's never really had to work on it. And there's, that's why he, he overthrows a lot. He makes a lot of, like he's just like not very accurate right now because his footwork is just a mess. And, and, and because he's so gifted throwing the ball, he's never really had to correct it at this point. All that to say, there's there's a way for KU to take advantage of it, but it, it starts with not letting Robinson get seven or eight yards on first and second down and give these – like that was the big thing with Tech too. It seemed like every single time it was third and two, third and three, if that, uh, if they even made it third down. There's got to be something early in the down. You make viewers have to – have to throw the ball on third and eight and and you know hopefully tcu gave some sort of blueprint to slow him down i don't think ku is probably going to do as good of a job i think maybe that's you know some of it's just chalked up to probably timing as well but yeah there's something there where this offense for texas has been 
pretty up and down, especially during Big 12 play, and I can't quite figure it out. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is that Quinn Ewers has been new enough that there wasn't a lot of tape on him. Um, and then you got to remember he got injured, right? And then so they so they went to Hudson Card, and you know they've kind of had a little bit of a rotating quarterback position, most like most teams in the Big Twelve this year, where they've had an injury for at least a few weeks. Um, so Ewers is still a fairly young quarterback in terms of his actual, um, you know, playing time on the field. I I was listening to um, actually I was listening to the Ten Twelve podcast um, and listening to I forget uh, John who does some of the advanced stats with with Philip over there and he was talking about how Quinn Ewers looks like he looks like a quarterback that is going to be a first round draft pick in 2024 but it's 2022 so like he has a ways to develop he has a lot of things that he still needs to work on and he has a lot of holes in his game that like you said need to get filled in and people have been able to start taking advantage of them um I saw that with TCU TCU took a lot of uh, presented him with a lot of different things to look look at and think about. And I think Kansas can do a lot of similar sort of things. They can bring pressure from a lot of different places. They can do a lot of different stuff. But like you said, it's predicated on not allowing B. John Robinson to, you know, get eight or nine yards of carry and, and really get moving. So that is going to be, you know, goal number one is to shut down the run uh, or not even necessarily shut it down, but make it so that it's uneven enough that they can't just rely on it and play after play after play so that Ewers has to make a play here and there and then jump on those opportunities when they get them. So um, this Texas defense as well, like uh, they get all kinds of plaudits for whatever reason for, you know, being a really good defense. But when I look at what they've done, I, I think a lot of that just has to do with style that people try to play going in because you know that you're going to have Bijan Robinson pounding the ball on the other side, you don't want to get into a situation where your defense is out there for, you know, 15 out of, I'm sorry, for like, you know, 25 out of the 30 minutes and a half. Um, so like it, it, you intentionally slow down your offense. You intentionally do a lot of different things to just make it so that Texas is not running their D or their, their offense out there for the entire game. So TCU seemed to take their foot off the gas a little bit, change the way that they play a little bit. Um, but they were still fairly successful getting a decent number of drives um, that went a decent number of yards. Now, granted, they, they only had, I mean, they only, they didn't even have 300 total yards. So it was a very low scoring game, a very low, uh, you know, in terms of yardage game. It was, it was a defensive game, but I think that was much less about, um, you know, Texas actively stopping TCU and much more about the, the, the play style. And Kansas has shown the, the, the willingness to play at that sort of pace, right? Until they just randomly hit you over the top for a, a huge play that you don't see coming. So I think that actually plays to Kansas' advantage. If it's not a high-scoring, a high-flying game, then all it takes is one big defensive play to really turn the tide of the momentum of the game, and that's where the Kansas defense thrives. So this is one of those games. It's, it's funny. I look at all of the, you know, I look at all of, like, the ESPN, FPI, their, their probability there's a bunch of different places that if you look at, they're all, you know, Texas is favored by nine. The last I saw, like, there's a lot of areas where I'm seeing that Texas is supposed to be, you know, this world beater or, the, you know, heavily favored in this game. And then you go over to friend of the podcast, uh, Parker Fleming over at Stats of War. Um, you know, he has his, his CFB graphs. He actually has this as a very, very close game. It's like 52% to Texas and 40 like 47 point whatever to Kansas. Like it's a much closer game. I think if you look at a lot of those stats, then people give, give it credit for. So it'll be very interesting to see who's actually right. I do think Kansas has a good opportunity in this one, but like you said, there's some very specific things that they have to do. All right. Final, final thoughts on this football team before we switch over to basketball. No, I mean, you got two, two really tough matchups to end the year, but you know, Obviously, that seventh win, that elusive kind of seventh win, I know everyone's really clamoring for it. It's already been a, an incredibly successful season. No matter what happens, you're going bowling. It completely exceeded expectations. Last week was frustrating. You know, hopefully this week is better, but I would still say just enjoy it. Like, we, we haven't been able to care about, well, I mean, the Texas game is, you know, kind of different, but like. Right, right. It's I, Texas. I would just say, you know. It's Texas and, you know, Longhorns down, they're leaving the conference, all that sort of thing. But, like, I would just say, yeah, the, there's there's plenty of things to get better, but also this is a really fun team. So just enjoy Devin Neal. Um, 
hopefully Jalen Daniels is back because I hate that his great season got sidelined the way it did. But I do think you're right. I think this is a much closer game, especially at home, than Texas by more than a touchdown. That seems – I mean, Texas was also favored ridiculously high against TCU when TCU was undefeated last week, and we saw what happened. So, like, I, you know, Vegas clearly loves the Longhorns. I get it. But, yeah, I do think this has the potential to be a, you know, three- or four-point game in the last three or four minutes coming down to the wire kind of situation here. Well, and what it really comes down to is I think that there's a lot of people that overinflate the amount of talent and how that translates into them being successful on the field. We've seen that multiple times from Texas. It's going to – I mean, they'll get there eventually. I think that Sark – that Sarkeesian is a good enough coach that they will be able to get there, whether they'll hit the the ceiling of what they think that they should be able to be or not. That's a completely different story, but they continually get the credit for those, you know, high level recruits that they get. um, Even if they can't actually turn that into results on the field, but um, you know, what does not, you know, waste the talent that they have and waste all of the great stuff that they have. That would be sponsor here on the podcast, home field apparel. Home Field Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch of great stuff. And they have the absolute best lineup of vintage college mascots that you will find on apparel anywhere. Um, look, the, the clothes are super comfortable. They have the greatest designs. I wear all the stuff that I have way too much, and I'm always looking to get more because there are way too many um, designs that I just don't have. I don't have yet to keep Saying I'm going to get, you know, the Tortilla Tosh shirt from Texas Tech and I'm going to get the, um, you know, the Grandpa Frog in a pimp coat is the way that I always describe it. I don't really know what the actual name of that mascot is, but um, they have tons of great ones, not just in the Big 12, but all over the entire country. And of course, they have a fantastic Kansas collection. They have a ton of Kansas basketball shirts. They have the Kansas Relay shirt, which is great. And they came out with a Kansas football shirt to celebrate some of the success that the Jayhawks have had this year. So you too can go celebrate that success and get yourself some great apparel that you can wear. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Normally I'd give you our promo code, but hey, guess what? Starting tomorrow, starting Friday, they are starting their Black Friday sale. It's the best deals you're going to get on Homefield Apparel stuff at all. Use promo code Black Friday. You can get 20% off everything in the entire website they will be running out there are limited quantities of all of this so you want to make sure you get there early you want to make sure that you go ahead and take advantage and find all of the great stuff that you want while it's still in stock get everything that you need for everybody on your shopping list but homefield apparel great stuff uh go on over to homefieldapparel.com you use that promo code black friday starting on friday um and you will be able to get those fantastic deals all right, Kyle, I do want to go ahead. We are going to go ahead and talk about the Kansas basketball game because it's a fantastic, it was a fantastic game, a, fa- a fantastic result. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career USBP. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am joined by Kyle Davis, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We are recapping, well, we just got done recapping the Texas Tech game for the Kansas football team. Um, not the greatest thing to be talking about, but hey, it's not all doom and gloom over there. But let's jump over to one of, I think, the greatest performances I've seen, one of the grittiest performances I've seen in a long time from a Kansas player, which is really saying something considering, you know, everything that we saw last March, last year from the team that we had. Um, Jalen Wilson in this game, Kansas versus Duke, Kansas won 69 to 64 in the Champions Classic. It was the late game, as you alluded to at the very beginning of the episode. It came after a double overtime loss for Kentucky to Michigan State earlier. Um, you know, I'm glad that Kansas decided not to go to overtime because I was already kind of halfway falling asleep at the end of that game and I didn't want to miss any of it because it was a great game. It was a fantastic finish. It was a high drama game from start to finish, but you know, you're looking at like 
players of the game. You're looking at the guy who really dominated the stat line and really, you know, dictated the way that this game was going to go. And that is Jalen Wilson for, for Kansas. He did not have a fantastic shooting night. Uh, he took 26 shots to get his 25 points. Um, you know, he was 0 of 7 from the three-point line. Like, it was not a great shooting performance, but it was still a double-double performance, 25 points, 11 rebounds. He had five assists, um, you know, to only three turnovers. He still had a block and a steal. Like, he he was all over the place doing a whole bunch of stuff, playing really great defense, and doing pretty much everything that you would expect the lead guard for a national title contender to be doing in this particular game. He was, yeah, and I think you can see by, especially the second half, the difference in his game and mentality versus last year, where you mentioned those threes, like last year he probably would have stayed on the perimeter and jacked up 18 to 21 footers until they went in. He, you know, he was, he was driving baseline. He was, he was getting into the mid range. I, I think the five assists is, is one of the biggest like standouts to me in terms of his vision on the court has gotten a lot better. I, I will say there was a part there in the second half and it ended up being Grady Dick where it felt like there was going to be a little bit of hero ball from Jalen. And, and I think it's because he thought he was having like the only one who was doing anything offensive there where I think there was one on the, <clears throat> on the left side where went left, spun back, right, fade away, like 16 footer way short. And I'm just like, okay, that was forced. Like we can't, we don't need we. Jalen Wilson has been so good when he's been playing within the flow of the game, and you know finding different spots. And again, not just standing there, but there were some times on there where it was like, okay, we're getting into hero ball territory. Someone, someone else needs to step up. Thankfully, they did. But I mean, yeah, you can't really ask much more out of him. He's always been a fantastic rebounder. That's that's still there. I think yeah, the passing has gotten a lot better, and just the shot selection and the, just the the variety and and just the ways that he is able to create shots for himself that he is not able to do last year. I mean, last year it was basically getting to the rim and transition or standing threes. He's got so many more elements to his game now. Uh, and I think you can, you can see that. So that this is one of those where I think last year, if he goes over seven from three, he probably ends the game with what, maybe like 13 points. It's been, you know, kind of rough. Like he's finding other ways to score when certain things aren't falling. And I think that's the maturity and the maturation that we've seen that we like, this is kind of his step into like, okay, Ochai's gone. Like I'm going to come in and step into that role. Well, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a natural, you know, he was not the guy last year, right? Like coming into last year, it was Ochai's team. And I mean, like, yeah, you had a bunch of other guys, you know, you had Christian Brown as kind of the attitude on that team. You had David McCormick, the guy down, like you had a bunch of guys that had very clearly defined roles and Jalen's role was last year to be the utility guy, to come in, do whatever they needed to do, do a lot of the stuff that doesn't, you know, show up on the top line of the box score, you know, so all the rebounds, all the assists, all the, all the defensive plays that don't even necessarily show up on the box score. Um, you know, he was like the garbage man for this team doing all of those other things, this year it is his team. Like last year, there were so many different guys that would step up. You had enough playmakers on that team that every single night it could be a different guy. And every single one of those players could say, look, if it's not my night, it's probably someone else's night. Um, so we're going to let them star in this game. We're going to let them shine. They don't have those polished, ready-to-go guys, scorers on this game or on, on this team. Jalen Wilson is right now is probably the only consistent guy that you know you can rely on game in and game out. And that's shown. He's he's you know forced it a little bit, kind of to your point in some in some instances. And and unfortunately that's led to some not so stellar plays. Um, you know, and it ends up in those sorts of things. But like normally last year you look at it, if he had if he started, you know, 0 of seven from three, or honestly if he started like 0 of four from three there would be plenty of other options for him to start going to and not take nearly as many shots. So he didn't need to. He could he could impact the other ways. The This team does not have a go-to scorer if it's not Jalen Wilson. And you saw all of the talk, you know, from like Christian Brown, from a lot of guys that were really close to this team, and even from his teammates and like Dewan Harris, about how much he has developed, how much he's matured over the course of the offseason. And, and you knew he was going to have to. But 
you know, I, I think I think what's the most interesting, you know, here is this is continuing a pattern of the, you know, the reins of the team being passed off from one guy to the next guy. You know, you saw it with Frank Mason passing it off to Devontae Graham and then Devontae Graham handing that off, you know, and then Ochai ended up taking it and now it's being handed off to Jalen Wilson. Like, Bill Self and this Kansas program has a long streak of taking a, you know, a very important, you know, somewhat role player from the previous year and developing them into a leader, developing them into a guy who has the potential to be a, you know, a national player of the year. Like he has, he has had those types of performances so far that as of right now, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine he is not going to have serious consideration for the all American team. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to think of another guy automatically who is like, that's the national player of the year. You know, you look at even a guy like Oscar Shibwe, his first action was last night and it wasn't like, it wasn't, horrible but it wasn't like player of the year worthy and so you know in a young season he has established himself and I think especially with this game as one of those guys that could be a big storyline in the in the year and could potentially push this Kansas team I think a lot further um, than maybe we thought they necessarily could coming in just because you know you look at all the pieces the question was always how well are these pieces going to fit together and do they have a go-to guy do they have a guy like an Ochai who you know, you could usually count on him, ex- except for at the end of the year when he started to, you know, other guys started to pick it up and people really started to pressure him. Um, Ochai was a solid, you could count on 15 and, you know, f- 15 and 10 every night. Um, Jalen Wilson, you can count on double-double from him every single night so far because he's a fantastic rebounder and he's really stepped up his scoring game. Yeah, and I think the 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 help is going to come and be there more throughout the year where, you know, like I've, Grady Dick didn't play for a stretch in the second half because they were just attacking him defensively. And that was, you know, it's also, he's a freshman playing in his first real big game, but you've seen flashes. Like he's going to be able to, to do that. I don't, Kevin McCullough's going to do so many other things that you don't really need him to do that. But I think he's one of those, he can knock out a big shot if he needs to, like, you know, we haven't really seen, we've got so many, there's so many guys still trying to fit into the role where I think in February, I don't, this isn't going to be like last year's team, but there's going to at least be someone other than Jalen, I think, and it's probably most likely Dick, but I think there's a couple other candidates where it's like, if you need to go get a bucket and, and either, you know, it's not going to have to be all on him, but he's going to be that consistent force. I think like you said, that where you're going to, he's going to be the guy who is, is going to be consistently just, you know, like I said, like 15 and 10 on any given night, he'll have his great nights where it's 25 but like he's not also he you're I don't foresee many six point four rebound performances unless like foul trouble really gets in there. But like that might be once in this year. Like it just seems like the way the way that he fits in the offense, the way that he's played and matured his offense, it doesn't seem like it is. It, it seems sustainable, um, and it's way too early. It's only three games in, but he is number two right now in Ken Palm's uh, Player of the Year rankings, which is interesting. But um, yeah, he's. He's doing so many things well that I, I his three point shot has to look better. Uh, it is, but like even you know if he can do twenty five and ten, twenty five ten and five without even hitting a three, then okay, sign me up. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things too. Like last year, you had plenty of guys who could step up and be the go to guy for a game. This year, I don't think you have that. You have Jalen Wilson, you have Grady Dick as he matures. And honestly, I think that's probably it. McCuller, you can go to for some really big shots. And and I definitely think there's a conversation to be had about McCuller and how underrated he is as a shooter because he didn't have to be a shooter at Texas Tech. Like, he could he could hit a shot, but his role was to get the ball where it needed to go and be an absolute pest on defense. Like, that that was his role. And, and to provide that, you know, kind of on-floor leadership. Um he can do the same sort of thing here, but I think what we're seeing here early so far for him is that he has a little bit more of a shot than I think people give him credit for or that he's known for. Um, I mean, he was, you know, he scored 12 points in this game, which, you know, I think he's been the third leading scorer in all three of their games. I, I'd have to go back and look at each of them, but I mean, he's had a decent number. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He wouldn't have in the last one because I think he only had like six points, but, you know, he has been a very good steady presence for them in a lot of these games. And, you know, he has gotten a good number of points every single night. He has gotten, he's like in on a lot of the really big plays. He's been there for some really good, you know, assists and, and, you know, 
throwing mobs and all of this stuff. Um, he is that glue guy that you need that is going to be involved in a lot of different things this year. And it's going to be, um, I think, fantastic for them as they kind of go through. The other main scorer that they have, I think, is developing is Grady Dick. You know, you talked about how he had a, an off night, you know, that he was, they were taking advantage of his defensive, I guess, um, immaturity yet to this point. I mean, it's not that it's been bad defense. It's just that I don't think he quite understands where he needs to be to be super successful, which a young freshman, it's a fairly complicated, like it's, it's honestly a much more complicated defensive system than I think a lot of people realize. Um, there's a lot of shifts, a lot of things that they have to do to make sure that they're, you know, that they're helping in the right instances and doing a lot of different things. Um, it takes a while to pick up Bill Sell's defense because it is, it looks simple, but it's a very intricate defense. And so, as Dick gets better throughout the year, I think that he will be able to stay on. But you saw he had a seven-point a seven point spurt at the end of that game in the last two minutes that pushed Kansas ahead for the lead, you know, and then and then they never gave it up. And like you said, it was that it was that relief that Wilson needed to realize that, hey, I'm not going to have to do all the scoring here. I've got another guy that's going to help me out and going to take some pressure off. And then, you know, once he started scoring, then Duke had to pull, you know, the double team off of Jalen because – now you've got a guy in Dick that can spot up from pretty much anywhere on the on the court and and nail a shot. So you have to you had to at that point respect that and it opened up more things for Jalen Wilson to shoulder more of the load like he was expecting to. Yeah, and and I guess in in Greedy's defense, he also uh on defense, he he did get a tip ball there during that seven and spurt that really helped it as well. Uh so like he wasn't completely lost in the in the defense game but that's definitely the area that needs more work i will also say and i know there's been plenty of praise you know like especially when in talking about helping Jalen, i think harris's game like duan's vision and his ability to play in the pick and roll and get to the basket and like just his his spacing and his just awareness and everything like you saw on the on the pick and roll to kj that led to the end one when they desperately needed it He's not going to be the scoring load, but I think Dwan actually is a big uh, piece of the not all not the the ball not sticking with Jalen and forcing things too much anyway, because he's going to be the one who is going to get someone open who wasn't actually open and get the spacing and find the seam and get to the basket like the, just the way that he runs the pick and roll and the way that he finds guys and the way that he puts someone like. KJ Adams, who's not a true born offensive threat right now, um, in positions to succeed. Like I, I do think I know there's been a lot of praise and, and deservedly so for Dwan, but the way that he operates, I think, and the way that he kind of generals the the offense and the way he distributes the ball, that actually is, I think, a big benefit to someone like Jalen Daniel or Jalen Daniels. Wow, I already get my Jalen's mixed up. Oh, I know. We just talked football for forty minutes, but. Uh, and I'm really excited for him to be back. Jalen Wilson, the the fact I think you know, it's it it really helps Jalen to have a point guard that's a true pass first vision, like floor general point guard that is going to also make sure that everyone's where they need to be and it's not going to be all on him. And so, you know, those were some of those plays. I think the KJ won most of all, but, you know, Harris had a couple of those late at the game where you talk about guys who can make a shot. Yes, Grady was huge with that that big run, but I also think Harris's just ability to to orchestrate everything in there, it, it's not going to show up nearly as much. And obviously the stats aren't going to be there as much, but like, I think I think he has a big deal with it. And I think he's going to be, you know, if we talk about who's going to be those secondary scorers and who could have the big nights with them, like I think Dwan's going to be the one to put them in the position to succeed. Well, and I think I think to Dwan's credit, he has gotten he's still not like making a huge clip of the shots that he's taking, but he definitely looks more willing to take a shot or more willing to become an offensive threat in some fashion, whether that's driving in a way that it has to pull additional help. Or, you know, getting, you know, pulling up for a three. Like, he's he's only one of six on the year so far. But he has shown in those obvious, you know, spots where it's time for him to shoot, he's actually willing to shoot it this year. Um, hopefully that continues. But I honestly think one of the more promising things was less about Dewan Harris in this particular game and more about what happened when Dewan Harris was in foul trouble and had to come off the court. 
Um, you know, you saw a decent amount of time where Bobby Pettiford and Joseph Yesufu were in together. And the way that they played off of each other, I thought, was a really interesting dynamic and a really big change-up for the way that this team played. It opens up other opportunities. It opens up other things that Kansas can potentially do. And it will definitely, I think, make this a much more interesting season if they've got multiple different looks that they can have with different combinations of point guards out there. They, they have three point guards, I think, that can play the point guard position to varying degrees of success. And the fact that Jalen Wilson can handle the ball and has been so good with his assists as well kind of takes some of that pressure and gives them some of that flexibility, which means that Kansas can truly give them multiple different looks from those, you know, one and two positions and give them an opportunity to keep teams off balance. It will be very interesting, I think, to see how that develops over the course of the year. But to your point, like, I definitely expect Harris to get the lion's share of the minutes. I mean, he still had 35 minutes in this game, even though he had four fouls. Like, he wasn't in foul trouble the entire game long or anything like that. But I thought it was interesting enough to see that when his defense didn't get him the steals or didn't get him the kind of stuff that you would normally see from him, that they were able to go elsewhere, but also he was able to change the way that he played, um, you know, to kind of help. One other thing that I thought was really strange, like looking back at stat lines, you know, if if there was – if you had to guess – and, and I, I obviously I think I'm telegraphing the answer here, but if you had to guess a player on the Kansas roster who had a block in every single one of the first three games, how far down the list would we have to go before you would say Dewan Harris? Probably at least four or five, which brings me back to one of my big points, and that is just like, do you, and actually I thought this is where you were going with it. I was going to say if if I had to do. If, if you had to guess where KU ranked nationally right now in block percentage three games in, what would take us take a stab at where you would go there? Oh gosh, I mean, I would have to say it's probably pretty good actually, just because they've got, I mean, they've got several guys that I think have been blocking fairly well, but I, I haven't actually looked at it. So, is, yeah, is it good or is it really let's, bad? Let's do it. Just do it. No, like, well, I mean, they had they had how many blocks did they end up getting last night? Thirteen. So, I mean. Oh gosh, know, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So, so they're so they're probably like top five, probably. They're just they're sixth. Yeah, twenty two point two percent. My now. gosh, that's uh, crazy. Sixth, and, and who would have thought when you when your center is your five man's a six seven? Uh, yeah, I know they have some depth up the bench, but yeah, like it's it's because and that just I think that just builds on your point, which is that it's guys like Harris in the color and whatnot who are just. I, I, I tweeted this last night, like I. It can't be fun to play offense against Bobby Pettiford and, and Dwan Harris. Oh gosh, no! Like that just that just looks like an absolutely miserable experience uh, because they're just like they're just on you the entire time. And even when you get to the basket, and you think you okay, you can at least you kind of tall. You'll you'll go up for a, a layup. Like then he'll block it from behind. Like it just it just looks like an absolutely like I I want no part of that. Of uh, I just I would I think I would just I would give up and go. Take a seat, get a Gatorade. I'm like, nah, he's I, if he's guarding me, I'm I'm good. I'm just gonna go stand in the corner. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So so Ken Palm, I believe, does the top 500 at each you know potential stat of, of players across the nation. There are three players that are in the top 500 or you know ranked, and they're actually all like 250 or higher. Three players for the Kansas Jayhawks who are in that like ranked for block percentage, and they're. Nobody that I would have thought would be anywhere close. Like if you told me that there was a player that was in the top, you know, 150, that I would have thought, oh man, you know, Edgefor is having a really great start to the season, or you know, or like Uday really kind of just got it all together and is and is just really showing out. No, guess who it is? It is, uh, it is uh, KJ Adams, Dewan Harris, and Kevin McCuller. And I think that there is definitely some sort of like threshold in terms of minutes played or things like that that go along for it. Yeah. Because like you 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 look at Uday has like a seventeen point one percent and and Edge of Four has a twenty two point two percent in terms of block percentages, but they don't play often enough for them to actually make it onto the leaderboard. Um, I just find it interesting that of the most, um, you know, of the the guys that have the most minutes, it is the smaller like the small the smallest of our centers and the you know smaller guards that are getting the most blocks, and and I think that talks a little bit about their athleticism. And what they're able to do and the, the kind of strange ways that they're able to uh, approach some of the shots that people are taking to affect them in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So there's been a lot of really interesting things from this Kansas team 
and a lot. I mean, we could probably spend another, you know, two hours talking about everything that we've seen from this team so far. I think I'm going to leave it here. You know, Norm Roberts talked in the pregame press conference about how, you know, self has looked at a lot of the different things that they do. And, you know, he's been, he's been in contact and kind of watching and there's things that they want to do. There's guys that aren't, you know, filling the role yet that they would expect them to. But I have a hard time imagining that Bill Self can, with a straight face, take a look at these games and be upset. Like, he can be upset with small particular things that he wants them to be better at. But if you just talk about total vibe of this team, you I, like, I, I have a hard time imagining that even Bill Self can be super critical about this team because of what they've shown with the, the way that these guys have already started to develop throughout the course of the season and what you've seen from those guys that are expected to step up. I mean, that is a good Duke team. That is a Duke team that is going to be very successful this year. They are definitely a young team with a brand new head coach and, you know, kind of they're going to have their own growing pains. But, you know, this is not a Kansas team that was, you know, restocked and ready to go like a, you know, Kentucky bringing in, you know, six five stars to to fill out their roster after everybody graduates. Like this is, or I'm sorry, everybody gets drafted early in the NBA. Like this is a team that has held on to a lot of guys that are putting a lot of guys into brand new roles and they've really started to develop into those roles a lot sooner than I think most people expected them to. There's still questions down in the post, but they've been able to make it work with guys like KJ Adams and, you know, kind of these weird, unique lineups that are bigger than they than they seem like they are. And I actually said at the beginning of the game before my feed went to absolute crap, you know, looking at, at the, you know, the the size disparity um, height-wise for Duke versus Kansas, like, this was the kind of game like we saw with, you know, Kansas versus Kentucky last year where every single one of the Kentucky players had two to three inches on the guy at the same position with the exception of the point guard. Um, normally when Kansas goes up against a team that is, you know, much bigger than them like that, the 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 way that they quote-unquote will attack it is to try to outspeed them, you know, try to be faster off the ball, try to, you know, get around guys to kind of make those sorts of plays. And usually that's the game plan, but they're not fast enough to actually be able to do it. This is a team that I think is much faster and much lighter on their feet than we've seen from a Kansas team in a really long time. And I'm sure that Duke being as young as they were helped with that somewhat. But I think when they go up against a team like Kentucky later this year, or they go up against some of those big teams in like Baylor with, you know, the post that they have down low, the the sneaky speed that they have down in the post is going to be to their benefit, is going to allow them to do things that we just haven't been able to see from them. And I think allow them to stand up in the post a lot better than they have in the past when they've had similar sort of mismatches. Yeah, and there's there's already some things to fix on that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to, first of all, you're just not going to play against teams bigger than Duke. I mean, in fact, like their, their average height is 14th best nation, nationally. So like you're, they're going to be for the, the extreme of what you're going to face. It's also, so the offensive rebounds were bad. We knew that coming in. But it's also some of them were ones that you would expect to get cleaned up because there were several times where Uday or someone would try and hunt for a block, completely leave the backside wide open, and and you have two guys hunting for a block and no one's back, and, and it's an easy putback. Like, there's those kind of things where I think when there's some there's some discipline and some principles that are still getting instilled that once that happens and kind of that backside help and rotation – will even make it better. But yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about the defense at this point. I mean the defense is really strong. I mean you're right. You can nitpick little things. I think if I had to nitpick the biggest thing right now, it would be uh free throws, both a lack of getting to the line and a lack of shooting free throws well. But again, like those are things that you expect, you know, it's a small sample size too. But you're right. Like there's the 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 grit and toughness and this like, you know, not folding when you know there were some haymakers thrown last night KU threw one in the first half uh and you really saw like you know that it rattled I think some of the Dukes Dukes uh young guys to Shire's credit he got them back stable and like focused at halftime and, and readjusted and they came out and threw another haymaker and this is a team where like you still have that like, you know, the one thing, like last year's team, their identity, they were the comeback kids. They were the gritty, like, never count them out. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to scrap back. It, it, I'm not I'm not pretending to say this is the same team, but you're seeing some of those qualities in guys like Harris and Wilson and even, like, McCuller just naturally, I think, kind of 
possesses that sort of quality, even though he wasn't there. And so, yeah, that's the thing where it's like, if you can have that right now, you can work on everything else. You can get the young guys better disciplined on defense and work on the principles and get uh, Grady more comfortable shooting and, and get him in the offense and not, I know there's Norm mentioned there's one play where they were even trying to get it to him earlier and he ran in the wrong spot. Like he went in the wrong direction and, and broke the play. Like those things will get better. The things you can't teach is that like, again, that toughness and that just like grit of, of clawing back and finding a way. If you have that now, great, because you know, this team's going to be a lot more polished in February than they are now, but that's the, that's the, the intangible that you can't get mid season necessarily. So if, if you have, yeah, you're right. Like from a self standpoint and you know, that's what he loves. He loves tough toughness. He loves like it, this team is tough so far. And I think that's all that's you. You have to be happy with that. Right. Like the dirtiest word that you can ever hear Bill self say about your team is that you're soft. And I think we've been, we've been very blessed to have Kansas teams that have been very gritty and very tough and, you know, can take a punch and usually come out from it with at least some level of level-headedness, you know, some level of ability to bounce back, even if they don't get all the way back. They've at least been able to kind of level themselves off and then get back to being a composed team that can actually, you know, challenge. Um, and this team, I think, does that as well. I also think they do it a lot quicker than most teams. Like, Last year, I think the big difference was that was a team that got down big because they let stuff snowball on them, and then but they were able to flip that switch and then let it snowball in the other direction. I don't think this is a team that probably can come back from as big of deficits, but I also don't think this is a team that's ever going to get down by nearly as much, unless it's just a night where they just don't have it. Um, and so, so this is, I think, the difference in it is that they they have a similar sort of mentality in terms of the toughness and the you know the ability to scrap and, and really kind of get where they need to be. But I definitely think it's, it's much, it's going to be a much more consistent, a much more level team and a much more, I guess, less infuriating over the course of a, you know, 20 minute half <laughs> than what we saw. I don't think we're going to see a game like the national title game or the Kansas state game where Kansas gets way down. And then all of a sudden they just can't seem to miss. And they just, you know, go on a huge spurt to come all the way back. Um, this is a team that I think is going to have to be in games for the majority of the game. They can probably go on a run. You know, they can probably have a big comeback over the course of a 15 to 20 minute stretch, but they're not going to be a team that can be down 20. And then four minutes later, they've got a tide. All right. Yeah, well, agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before we kind of beat the rest of this, you know, dead horse, um, let's, let's go ahead and, and cut it off there because they do have a few games coming up. Um, you know, they do have the the um, the tournament coming up next week, uh, the Thanksgiving tournament that they will be in, uh, I believe. it. Are they in battle for Atlantis this year? They're battle. Yep, they're in the Bahamas. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's, NC State on Wednesday. That's one of those that I always say that I want to go to, but then I realize I probably don't want to. Like, if I'm going to go down to the Bahamas, it's probably not to watch basketball. So, like, I would love to go to one of those games, but... I'd rather go do it when it's a different, you know, like where I can feel like I'm going there for basketball and not for other things as well. So, but they do have the, the final tune up coming up this Friday against Southern Utah. I don't think I'm worried about that particular game. Um, it will be, I think, interesting to see what they change there, but then they have uh, potentially a very tough three game stretch, um, you know, in that tournament over the holiday weekend. Um, and then we get to get into some of the fun non-conference stuff. You know, we'll have Texas Southern to end out the month, but then you have Seton Hall, Missouri, Indiana, you know, Harvard, um, kind of spaced out a little bit, but you know, that is a, that is a nice stretch there in December. We'll have some more time to kind of think about those and talk about those as we go. Um, but, and of course there will be football interspersed in there because, Hey, guess what? Kansas is going bowling this year. So they will have plenty of football stuff to talk about in the month of December. So, all right, um, just a quick update because we are actually recording this um, on Wednesday night when Kansas was playing, uh, let me see, they just beat, or sorry, UT Arlington. The Kansas women did beat UT Arlington, although they did give up a huge lead coming out of the uh, half break. So it was a much closer five-point victory than I thought it was going to be. But they did get the win. That's what's really important. They had a very bad third quarter. But, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. So 
Um, we will have more coverage of that, you know, next week. You, you can look for the uh, the recap that we will have up probably at some point today when you're listening to this, or it will already have been up at that point. But um, you know, co- all kinds of great coverage over at Blue Wings Rising. We have a ton of stuff going on. We have men's basketball, women's basketball, football. We are still covering volleyball to some extent, um, and we will continue to cover all of those. So make sure you go over there and catch all of our great stuff. And, of course, you can catch Kyle's articles, what he's talking about, um, by following him on Twitter at KyleDavis21 or you know, just paying attention to the Blue Wings Rising feed. He does actually tweet for us over at Blue Wings Rise as well. Um, but that is going to do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, Anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at email.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, um, which is over on the Sports Drink Network. Um, fantastic networks, both of those. But you can find all of the great shows covering all of the teams in the Big 12 Conference by going to 1012network.com and you can find all those links there. Um, make sure you visit our sponsors, Home Field Apparel and prizepicks.com. Use that promo code CHOCK12 to get some great deals there. But that's going to do it for us. Kyle, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.